0: Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Au. Leadership is harder than it looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into a great unknown, this is the podcast for you?
1: Su Ren Niu is currently the senior director for marketing for Twilio in the Asia Pacific and Japan region, where she's responsible for driving Twilio's marketing and brand strategy. Twilio is an American cloud communications platform as a service company based in California. Twilio allows software developers. To programmatically make and receive phone calls, send and receive text messages, and perform other communication functions using its web service APIs. Suren has over 20 years of experience in leading integrated marketing and brand development across technology, financial services, and telecommunications industries. In global and regional capacities, prior to Twilio, she drove marketing strategy with companies such as HSBC, Credit Suisse, United Overseas Bank, Sony, Qualcomm, and Singtel. Suren graduated from the National University of Singapore with a Bachelor's of Science in Economics. You can connect with her at www dot linkedin dot com slash in slash suranyo. Good to have you on board, Suran.
2: Nice to meet you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, you know, you've really had quite a career as a specialist and expert in APAC and marketing, as well as an interesting duality from financial services to technology, and now, you know, you're leading the charge of Twilio and APAC, which is. So many services just use you to notify or get notified about all kinds of random stuff.
2: Thank you. It's been uh, quite a journey for sure. And I'm happy to be here and share a little bit more about that.
0: For those who don't know you yet, how would you share your leadership journey over time?
2: It's a really interesting question, and uh, I, I think when I think of my leadership journey, I don't quite think of my career when I graduated and came out to work, right. I, I think of it from a lot of from my own personal experiences, even when I was much younger. So just as a quick background, I I was born and raised in Singapore, but had the privilege to live and experience many countries such as Japan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, and in the U.S. over many years. My husband is originally from the U.S. and we've always had very fond memories being out in Asia many years ago and are very, very bullish about the growth that it brings in general. So after about 10 plus years in the U.S., we decided to move back to Singapore where we are now based with our two kids. So going back to the question of that leadership journey, my work journey actually started when I was 14. And it was a first job that I had during a vacation when I was working at my father's lab in his business, soldering circuit boards of demo units of telecommunication equipment. So I still remember being in that room on that table and literally soldering. And I still remember that smell of the solder, being able to put components on and everything. And it was such a interestingly different, choice of a job for a 14-year-old, but I kind of enjoyed it because it had a, a sense of creation that I totally enjoyed. And plus, I was paid $50 a day, which is a very handsome sum for a 14-year-old many, many years ago at that point in time. So I was kind of proud that I was well-paid just to do this alone. And you know, as a teen, I was very lucky to have come from a comfortable household, but I really relished being able to take up odd vacation jobs like soldering or anything else during my school vacations. And so from soldering circuit boards to selling computers at our trade show to doing Christmas promotions for retail malls and then working in kitchens and, and restaurants as well. You know, like, like I wanted to pick as many diverse different types of experiences when I was young and, and, and a teenager as much as I can. And I still remember like part of this milestone from a, from a leadership journey were, were people that I got to meet and learn from. And I remember when I was working in in a restaurant and I, I actually worked as a kitchen staff in this particular restaurant. This was when I was in college. And we were actually at that time grouped into like small teams and we did prep work, that then got assembled for cooking or for serving. We were led by this supervisor called Susan. And you know, when I thought back from, you know, after, I realized her job was really not an easy one at all because she managed many hourly wage folks. Many were young college students like me and many had very varying standards of quality. And she was a stickler on quality in general. So I remember like you know she was also very much older than us and probably saw us like her kids and she was always very firm but also very maternal you know very no no nonsense personality very patient and But she always led by example. You know, she worked really, really hard and was just very, very good with customers in general. I used to just watch her and marvel in how she does her work in general and tried to lead by example with everybody and her details, her attention to details and the level of respect that she upheld with whatever little she did. Things like the details of how we skin the caps of mushrooms and slice them. or the little details of how we prepared the desserts to be presented and she always reminded us about like no matter how much we feel that we're just working on the back end and that it's all unnoticed but our work actually really shows up in front of a customer and really impacts that customer experience who actually receives a beautifully served dessert dish. So I always remembered how Through all these different types of experiences, like the one that I had with Susan in this restaurant, meeting so many different people from all walks of life and learning so much about life in itself and people in general. I think through that situations, I learned a lot about authentic leadership, about really good work ethics, a lot of empathy, and also a lot of thinking on my feet. So I think when I finally graduated and actually officially started my career, Those were very, very big lessons that I had taken for myself and in what I then upheld myself to do in my career going forward.
0: That's amazing. And thanks for sharing your journey as well as your own set of foundational experiences and mentors in the early stages. Now, one thing that's interesting is that you've obviously built up quite a career initially in APAC financial services, right? And then you had this interesting transition to Sony, electronics, and then Qualcomm. So how did that shift come about? Like, you know, what was going through your mind? What led to that career transition and choice? How did your friends think about it?
2: (laughs) When I graduated I graduated with in economics. But interestingly, my career actually officially started in telecommunications versus financial services, which is really the natural path for most economics graduates. But during that time, I had graduated in the year of a financial crisis. And it was a very, very difficult time for many people Many, many people struggled and it somehow started my career with a very sobering view of the working world. And it really built in me a strong, innate desire to be able to just build and create and market things in general. So I I realized that I was a lot more keen on technology related areas. Maybe this was influenced by my dad, who is not only a businessman, but an engineer by training. And so it was only when I started to work with a particular customer while in telecommunications, and this customer was a regional bank, who then asked me to consider joining them to drive marketing and business development for electronic banking services like mobile, internet and phone banking, that I then decided to move towards the financial services industry. And then lo and behold, I stayed for nine years and served in varying marketing and business development positions with banks like HSBC, Credit Suisse, UOB, and OUB, before then deciding to focus back on technology and to work for the brands that you had talked about. And I think that it was a very interesting transition. There were very many catalysts that actually ignited that change. But you know, now that I'm at Twilio, one of the reasons why I'm also drawn to where I currently am at Twilio is not only the possibilities of what the products and services and solutions bring in general, like there's such a great opportunity for for so many people to be able to use it and, and tap into the market, but also it's the values that it believes in. And I think that a lot of the values that the company believes in have to resonate with me. And it's things like being inclusive, and this is helping and supporting a diverse workforce Supporting the underrepresented communities and also women in the workforce. And then also being able to give back to communities in general. So things like a We Pledge movement that Twilio has. So right now, we actually have this annual global week of service. So through an employee movement called the We Pledge program, we our teams are all signed up to volunteer. And so we're, we're all encouraged to give back time to help our communities in different ways. And so next week, I will be serving and preparing food. And a local charity that actually operates a soup kitchen that provides meals to many, many needy people in Singapore.
0: Let's tighten that time-wide. What was it like transitioning back to technology from Credit Suisse to Sony? Were your friends fans of it? Were they asking you what was going on? Did you feel like you had a career crisis? What was
2: that like? Yeah, so many friends were quite curious about that leap and that change. But I think that there were a lot of different catalysts. And when I shared with them, they, they all understood and, and they could see why. I think they knew that I've always had that innate interest in wanting to be in technology. I was always very inclined that way. But during that time, it was also because of uh, changes in their personal life that had occurred. So at that point in time, we had to move back to the US for my husband's job. And it had required me to be able to leave a job that I had been enjoying at the bank. And the process really made me like relook look at my passions and think about what is going to be the next phase of my career. And I was very privileged because I was allowed to be free to explore whatever that I wanted to do. And I went from, I kid you not, even thinking about going into F&B, being a chef, went to culinary school for a while and, and looked across many different things. But then I realized that I really wanted to just go back to technology and combine my marketing expertise with this. So I found myself at Sony in in the US driving brand and marketing a range of consumer electronic devices like headphones and Walkmans and laptops, tablets, phones, etc. And it was a really, really interesting time that... All my friends who were then very skeptical then started to envy me because I was working on partnerships like working with Sony Entertainment Properties, you know, music and movies. We were in the Billboard Music Awards. We did ads featuring artists like Taylor Swift, Kelly Clarkson, Foo Fighters. We put devices into movies like James Bond movies and spun ca- uh, campaigns out of that. And so like, you know, it was really, really uh, an interesting time uh, at that point. And then with all these like shifts in technology, it was quite clear to me where the trends in technology was going. And it was that wireless communications was going to disrupt the world. So I really wanted to just challenge myself, go in all the way, go in deep, learn all about this. And so I went and joined the global leader in wireless technology and innovation, that's Qualcomm. And so, you know, the the position was a global one and it allowed me to be able to work across many global partners, imagining the future of what technology can bring. And so it was all about the cutting edge technology, like launching the first 5G modem in the world, cutting edge mobile processes, software technology that we all use in our Phones today, and uh, and so it was a it was a very fascinating time of really thinking about the enablement of what technology could bring to people. So what led me to Twilio eventually was that it was about growth and possibilities of the API ecosystem and cloud technology. The way that it brings and enables businesses, big and small, to implement and with global scalability is just tremendous. And I think that during this pandemic, especially, it has taught us so much. It's all about the importance of being very, very agile, about being able to pivot very quickly and also about digitizing. So, you know, we were very privileged to just share and serve many, many types of customers and nonprofits alike, right? And very meaningful things that we were able to also do through te- through uh, the technology, which is like, you know, working with Lifeline in Australia to implement solutions that allow remote working for they are volunteers and staff to cope with increased calls of distress of people with suicidal thoughts and everything. And then working with like big businesses like Standard Charter Bank, Gojek, Sing Life to implement a lot of communications and solve different types of business problems in general. This move back to technology has been a, a very interesting one. And I think frankly, a very, very meaningful one as well.
0: What's interesting as well is that one way to look at your background and career has been like who's who of Brand names that parents would approve of, right? You know, <laughs> Singtel, UOB, HSBC, Credit Suisse, Sony, and then of course Qualcomm and even Twilio. These are things that are in retrospect good moves, right? But it's interesting that actually, if you look at the timing that you choose to make those moves, they're often like ahead of the curve, I would say, in terms of like them being no brainer moves, uh, you know, for people. So it must have been quite scary to make those career transitions at each time. So how do you go about it? Like, do you do you have particular mentors or friends that you consult? Or do you talk to your husband about career moves? How do you basically put together that you know, advisory board, or you know, board of directors <laughs> around your career transformation, right? Including whether or not to be a chef. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a very interesting question. I, I think that... My husband plays a very, very big part in the, the choices that I make. I, I think he has been a tremendous partner for me in life and my best friend. And he's always been able to give me very, very good sound advice. But I think one of the things that he always does tell me also is to trust my gut. And that knowing and feeling where my passions lie, how I read the market and the environment. And maybe that's part of the economics background that I have, that I think about forecasting, charting, but but really identifying new ways of doing things. I think the other part of it is also he understands my innate sense of curiosity and that I was always very curious about something and that... Curiosity always spurred me to make leaps of faith, to make a lot of changes. It forces me to continuously think about reinventing myself, that I was not just a this person or that person, and that if I were thrown into anything, that I would be able to learn to thrive. And so I think that my very solid advisory board of my husband and also a few good friends they are able to lean in and also share some advice and oftentimes what they tell me is remember who you are and what you are capable of and what you always thrive in and i think based on that right it has given me a lot of great guidance to make a lot of decisions
0: i think that's you know so underrated right which is the ability to have that frank conversation with people you trust Because these are scary career moves, right? You know, know, for anybody. And I think it's also really interesting because you've also been able to, I think, broaden expertise. You know, of being a bridge between the West and Asia Pacific, right? You know, because you know you see that in your financial services marketing leadership career, but also Qualcomm and even Twilio, you've kind of like had that cross-border leadership. How do you think about that? I mean, is it like just a naturopathic job or are there specific skills that you should have or experiences that you should be intentional about to make such a role be a success?
2: I think my innate sense of curiosity makes me a little bit of a wanderlust in traveling. So from a very young age, my father in his own work is an extensive traveler. He's always been a road warrior since I could ever remember. And every time he goes to somewhere new, he always brings back something. And it could be a little bit of a souvenir, it could be a piece of an artwork, it could be something. And I I think he had always wanted to be able to trigger that curiosity and to think about that big white world around me. So in that formative years, of coaching from my dad, maybe very subliminally, it it started to make me really want to explore. And I think that it's not just a sense of wanting to explore, but it's wanting to explore with respect of a different place, of a different market, of a different continent in general. And so I think that it was very important that firstly, it was a great graduation from a career perspective to be able to look across a wider region to play global roles or regional roles. But it was also the aptitude of who I was being uh, raised in a certain way to not only learn more about the world around us, the region, but have that respect and curiosity about what is it really like? What's that market like? How do people think? What do people enjoy? What do people hate? How do you appeal to different sets of audience? How do you work with different people? And so I think growing up, I was made very, very culturally aware in many different ways. And with that sense of that innate curiosity, I wanted to really go out and explore traveling from a personal standpoint for work and then living and working in so many different places in in the world was such a privilege, but it really allowed me to be able to think much broadly. So I think taking on uh, global capacities, for example, with with Qualcomm and some of the, the companies that I've worked with as we mentioned earlier, allowed me to be able to bring that value to the table because there are many people who did not have that privilege that I did. Being able to transcend through a lot of cultural barriers, being able to then use that to appeal to a different set of business audience, technical audience, different sets of market or consumers was a tremendous strength that I was able to bring. And I thrived at it because it satisfied that that a bit of that wonderlust, from a physical and also from a mental exploration standpoint, and so I I really really thoroughly enjoy being able to to do something like that.
0: That's amazing. You know, one thing as well about that is you've probably seen, you know, the trends of technology moving around the world, right? Financial service, you know, multinational corporations moving from America to Asia Pacific. And now, you know, obviously electronics is obviously a bi-directional game these days. Also technology trends are kind of like going every direction as well. How do you feel about that? Like, do we feel like innovation is, for the sake of a short-man argument, it still done in the U.S. and it flows to the Asia-Pac. Or do you feel like, you know, what, what do you, what's your sense of how technology and talent is flowing across the different geographies?
2: I think that there is a lot of talent out here in the Asia-Pacific. And, you know, while there is indeed a lot of innovation that does come through from the US, but there's tons of talent here. And I think a lot of it has also been spun off by the necessity, right? Invention has really brought about the necessity to innovate in in many different ways, for example. So if you think about different companies that have spun off, so if you look at the super apps, and there are no super apps in, in the US, by the way, right? So, But there are super apps that have actually originated from our region. Things like that, that have really started to come in, they address a different set of audience, a different set of need, and they have actually become a lot more disruptive to the rest of the world, more so than we all think. So I, I think I would never really belittle the incredible talent. In fact, that's also one of the reasons why wanting to come back to the Asia-Pacific and be amongst the amazing people and talent has been a big draw. And there's so many of these trends that are happening in Southeast Asia. For example, a lot of the ecosystem that we work in, in technology, or the, even the API ecosystem, if you want to nail it down to a certain genre, it has evolved and matured in so many different new ways. And uh, as more and more of these companies just become digital and so so with COVID-19, of course, that has really been a big pivot for many. And it's really allowing people to think about how can we do this differently? How can we rethink this? How can we reinvent? How can we adapt? And a lot of these talent and trends are now addressing that and that uh, that catalyst and, and really showing up in new different ways. So from a communications point of view, for example, right, you know, since I'm in that business, we see great uptake in a lot of people who are now starting to think about like, it's not just about technology, it's about what technology can do and what can they then do with customer engagement and communication. So being able to do more live chat, a lot more voice, a lot of self-service automation, You know, those are growing trends in our region that we are starting to see. And then being able to then think about like, so how do I make this more intelligent? How do I make this a more connected journey? And and then bringing in tools like integrating with CRM to enable it to be a lot more from a connected journey standpoint to a customer, and then being able to then pay, transact digitally effectively. So being able to not only use from a hardware side, you know, NFC, which is quite common in the US, but but then to also do more e-wallet payments, digital payment platforms and transactions. There's a movement out here in technology in Asia, and it's, it's starting to thrive. And what that really means at the end of the day, right? It's like, yeah, this technology, that technology trend, but at the end of the day, it is the benefit to the consumer that matters. And what the consumer wants and gets to enjoy is more options, greater convenience, improved customer service. Like Nobody would not want any of that. And so, like for example, I can buy kombucha online and get it delivered by delivery services like Lala Move to my dogs at any time. And if I want to do that contactlessly, I could always choose that as well
0: how did you learn this whole marketing stack right obviously your father has been a great role model as a technical leader and global exposure we shared about you know your friends and your husband as being trusted you know partners and thinking through your career who trained you Were there any great trainers or mentors along the way that you remember that taught you the craft of marketing
2: I think I was very privileged to have worked with many very talented marketers during my journey. And there are always these talented people that I meet across every single place that I've gone to. And they've always ta- taught me this and that or I picked up something else. But a lot of it was also because of the opportunities that these many brands that I've worked with have presented to me. A lot of it is also because you get thrown into a deep end and you have to just learn to sink or swim. And so the necessity to just be able to learn to thrive in those type of situations and to build marketing expertise from there was a big, big teacher for me, I have to say. People don't probably realize that marketing is... Is an evolving art and science altogether. And that good marketers have a good predisposition of being very, not only right brained and left brained, you know, so being very well equipped to address the art and science of it all, being able to have that creative flair, but then still being very analytical to really think about what the insights are. What are we trying to address? How do you see trends to chart a lot of where that creative flair gets channeled into? So uh, a lot of that is also very renewed, constant renewal because market tech tech stacks are constantly changing. They're constantly new tools that you get to use to shape or sharpen your play in the world of marketing. And so I think that being able to continuously renew yourself, learn about Technology, learn about what's out there. What learn about what's capable uh, to keep that eye out. It has been incredibly important. It it does not come with a playbook. It really comes with the appetite to just go out there and learn, pick up, listen, talk to people, discover, trial, error, try again, and then just really have that trust, that gut, and feel that okay, let's try this out. In Twilio terms, we have this thing in our what we call our Twilio magic value as draw the owl. And so, for example. 2020 has been quite a challenging year for many marketers in general. And so it has been one year of what we call the draw the hour year. We we're just constantly trying to reinvent new things. Think about like, you're not given a playbook, you're going to have to write this. How do you change? How do you pivot? How do you do something and try to address your problem statements in a whole new way if you weren't told to be given any other sets of instructions?
0: So what's interesting is that you are also a uh, graduate from NUS, right? A uh, local uh, Southeast Asia university. And I think there's something when I chat with my friends a little, there's a bit of a sense that if you come from a local university, you can't rise to become an executive because you're always gonna be behind the sea turtles who are returning from America with their fancy degrees or an Australian degree is better than a local degree. And you know, there's a lot of like comparison of the undergraduate degree. What do you think about that? What do you think you brought from NUS to your jobs but also how do you feel about people's like you, know, you know, sentiment about local degrees?
2: That's a very interesting uh, question. I actually am proud that I came from NUS. I, I was very fortunate I had actually the opportunity to go to either to the US. Or to Australia to school there if I had wanted to. I I actually even had places already, but I actually made that choice to stay in Singapore at that point in time. So while my brother was then schooled in the US, for example, and uh, you know, I had chosen to stay in Singapore. I think that the degree is as good as any. And also it is still actually a really good school. Let's not forget that. And I think what's also very important is The choice of schooling that I had chosen, like what I wanted to do, what I wanted to learn, the people that I got to meet were big value-add in my life. Like I have wonderful friends that I would prize over many, many things that I had actually met and developed relationships from school at that point in time. And even despite me being here and really being very nomadic, like I haven't been in Singapore for very, very much in throughout the last many years. But but then still being able to come back and then continue with those relationships. The relationships never left me when I left, nor they actually got to strengthen when I came back. So I, I think that the schooling aspect. It's great academic, but I think that instead of just about the degree, about being book smart, I think there's so many other things that it teaches you. It's about building the networks, building the relationships with people, learning and seeking new journeys from the course of study that you take, taking them into a whole new journey, whether or not you stay with your field or not, for example, like me, but really being able to then take the helm of what you then wanted to do with it or not in, in your life.
0: That's so true. I mean, I think as we all progress in our executive career, all that, you know, earlier angst and, you know, (laughs) quantification (laughs) about which degree and that kind of like ends up being, you know, relegated to a distant third or fourth or fifth attribute. Because I think the most important is like you shared like your individual dynamic performance on the job and how well you think through the next job and you know, how you position yourself to be improving yourself all the time. You know, I'm just kind of curious, are there any books that you recommend for people who are thinking about pursuing a career similar to yours?
2: What is probably important to me is not only just being able to learn a greater sense of awareness. So marketing, there are plenty of marketing textbooks out there, but I feel like a lot of the marketing... That you get to learn is really being able to OJT, on-job training. <laughs> and and so that, that ability to be able to just continuously soak up, learn, expose yourself, pick up anything you want to do and sink into it is incredibly important. And then the side, like never forget to build yourself as a leader and being able to learn about the importance of awareness, being able to learn about defining yourself.
0: Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you.